Uh, if y'all would, would you turn with me for the scripture reading this morning to John 3, uh, the third, third chapter of John. Uh, we'll, we'll be reading verses uh, 22 through 30. Um, that, that's where you want me to stop, right? Yeah, 20, 22 through 30 in John 3, the third chapter of the gospel. Uh, would you stand when you find it? Start at verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. And now John also was baptizing in Anan near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, Rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come before your throne, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we uh, look to you again this morning. Lord, first we do want to thank you. Thank you for redemption in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending your only Son to the world to pay the price that is beyond us. We, we could never pay. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being called, being able to be in on what you're doing, your mission, your purpose in this world. And Lord, we pray, keep us mindful of things that truly matter. Lord, guard us from distractions, from self-glory. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Empower us be the witnesses that you've called us to be and grant, Lord, that we may have a passion for your glory. I pray now that you grant understanding of your word. Enable me to deliver your message with clarity and accuracy. Lord, use your truth to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, several things come to mind while you know looking at this passage and, and uh, considering uh, what is being communicated here. One <laughs> is a question: What is the greatest obstacle that we face? 
and I'll, I'll ask it in two ways or, or make two applications here. Um, for Christians, what is the greatest obstacle that we face in living out the Christian life? And then you might also um, ask the question, what is the greatest obstacle in people coming to Christ in the first place? Why is it that people aren't seeking out God as we're told um, in John or Acts rather 17 that they should be doing? Why is it that people can hear the good news of the gospel and turn away and reject God's grace? What is, what is the greatest obstacle? And, and I think I would probably just sum it up this way. And it, it is, and this is the answer to the, both of those questions, it, it is submitting to the will of God, taking on His mission in place of our own. In other words, doing God's will, submitting to Him as Lord and doing His will, seeking His glory rather than our own. Now, this um, text that we have before us this morning, what this, this section that we're going to consider this morning, contains uh, testimony concerning a man who had the right perspective. Now, uh, I want to be careful here. I will, I will do exactly what he was not trying to do, <laughs> and that is put the focus on him instead of upon his Lord. But we do find some reason to look at John as an example. That is John the Baptist. Because his whole life was about exalting Jesus Christ. We see, and Lord willing, come back to this in a moment, but we see His passion expressed in verse 30. He must increase. That is, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. That, that right there is, is the biggest hurdle we face. Every one of us. I, I must decrease. He must Jesus must increase. Having that mindset, living that manner of life, is what we, because of our sin, what we find so difficult. And by the way, John was a sinner. John the Baptist was a sinner also, so I don't want to imply that it was an easy road for him. It, it was not. But by God's grace, he had come to that determination. So I want to just walk through here and consider... Um, what is being said here about the ministry of John the Baptist and the one that it all points to, which, of course, is Jesus. First of all, in, in the first few verses there that, we, that Zachary read, verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Now, after what? Well, after the discussion that we just talked about with Jesus and Nicodemus. After, after that incident, now they move into the countryside. And literally, it's just the land of Judea. But um, <clears throat> they're already in Judea here. Uh, Jesus has gone into Jerusalem and cleansed the temple and had the, uh, the uh, dialogue with Nicodemus either in uh, Jerusalem or, or apparently close, close at hand there. And so in verse 22, when he says they move, they, they go into the land of Judea, he's probably meaning out into the countryside out of out of uh, out of Jerusalem, which is part of Judea, but 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 just meaning out into the countryside. So after this, that is after his dialogue with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, 
and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So here are Jesus and the disciples, something we don't think about uh, a lot of times uh, as far as his earthly life and ministry. But they, uh, simultaneously with, with the ministry of John the Baptist going on, are out in the countryside um, baptizing. Now you'll notice, by the way, we jump ahead just a second, in chapter 4, verse 2, it says that Jesus himself did not baptize. So his, his disciples were baptizing, and this is happening simultaneously with the ministry of John the Baptist. So verse 23, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there, or literally there, was, there, was, uh, there were many waters, probably meaning springs. They're, they're, they say there are springs in that area, and there are many springs there. And so uh, John uh, was baptizing there, and Jesus and his, and his disciples, John and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples, because there was plentiful water there. And people were coming and being baptized. And the, <coughs> the tense of the verbs here is that this is just continually going on. In fact, you, you see that suggested when it says of Jesus and his disciples that they remained there. They were there baptizing, and people are just continually coming. So you've got this picture of Jesus and his disciples, John the Baptist and his disciples. They're out in the, in the uh, countryside, and people are coming out of the surrounding area and out of the city of Jerusalem to be baptized. And then... Um, John, the author, uh, the evangelist, John, the Apostle John, gives this little explanatory note in verse 24. It says, For John had not yet, that is John the Baptist, had not yet been put in prison. Now, verse 25. He's kind of set the stage for us. We got the picture. Jesus, his disciples are in the countryside baptizing. John and his disciples are in the countryside baptizing. Verse 25, now a discussion. And actually that word now is uh, sometimes translated, uh, often translated therefore. So, so the idea is not now like a point in time. They were baptizing, now a discussion broke loose. But the idea is because of these things. Therefore a discussion arose. A question. They were questioning. Therefore a, a questioning arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew. And, and the Greek actually suggests that it was initiated by John's disciples. It's, it's the little word ek, out of. Out of John's disciples and a Jew. So, the, so questioning arose out of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, what's the purpose in baptizing? Well, it's, it's symbolic, but it, but it symbolizes cleansing. It pictured cleansing. And, and uh, just like in, in our day, there may have actually been um, misunderstanding as to whether or not, or whether, uh, how symbolic it was. In other words, they may have, some, some Jews may have taken it as a literal uh, cleansing. Um, so, in other words, it's in the midst of this, Jesus baptizing, or his disciples, rather, baptizing. And John and his disciples baptizing. People coming out, repenting, being baptized because they want to be cleansed 
of their sins. They want to be right with God. And again, it's not the water uh, going through baptism that cleanses, but it, but it is an expression of, of something that goes on inside, an inner cleansing, just an outward expression of an inner cleansing. So they're coming out for that purpose, purification. Now, you may remember um, back in chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine, we were told in verse 6, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification. So it's, it's the same idea there, although they're not baptizing in a spring or in a river. They're using these big pots of water to do their ceremonial washing at this wedding feast for the purpose of purification. So now that's what's going on out here in the, in the countryside, except they're doing it in springs or, or, or the river for the purpose of purification. And so a question comes up, apparently from the disciples of John, with this Jew over purification. Now, we, 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 can, we don't know all of the facts, so we can only speculate, um, judging by the context, as to what the, the questioning was. My guess would be, by what we just read and by what we're about to read when they go to John uh, asking, um, it seems like a logical guess that w- what they're trying to decide is which is better, being baptized by John and under his ministry or being baptized by Jesus and under his ministry. And there does seem to be a, a hint of, of, of rivalry here. Now, I've, I, I remember watching one of these shows one time that I... Uh, that I always recommend you do not watch. And, and this is one reason, because of this one. I, I, you know, if, I, if I remember the title of it and who did it, I'd tell you, but I don't. Um, but it was just PBS or something like that. Um, and, and they just, well, they just really overblew this thing, and, and, and this supposed scholar um, was, was there talking about this rival, rivalry between John and Jesus. Well, that of course is foolishness, and, and that's not um, what the issue here is. This is between some of John's disciples, and it, it does seem to hint that they um, are thinking, um, hmm, wonder which one's better. Maybe, maybe they're trying to figure out, should, should we um, be following Jesus rather than John? What's, what's the difference? Which one is superior? Which one is more significant? But there's never, ever a hint of competition between John and our Jesus. Right? So, which is what this show I was referring to was suggesting. But that that's just doesn't happen. We know this. For a fact, some questioning arose. Now here's what they do with it. They go, in verse 26, the the disciples of John go to John. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, now that's a reference to Jesus, they they saw John identify Jesus as as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. They saw um, John point him out. And some of his disciples left at that point and followed Jesus. So they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, or to whom you testified, look, 
He is baptizing, and all are going to Him. Do you see there seems to be um, maybe worry, like He's getting all the crowd, or maybe just sincere questioning. You know, He's all the crowd going to Him. Why are we doing what we're doing? Should, should we be going there also? And interestingly, um, he doesn't really maybe address that like we think he should, but here's what he does do. He says in verse 27, John answered, that is John the Baptist answered them. Now here's what we want to focus in on. The content of his reply. It's going to reveal a lot about the man John the Baptist and about his humility and about what he understood about his own ministry and about what he understood about Jesus. And by application, it's going to reveal a lot to us about the way we should view ourselves and whatever it is that we do in this world. Here's what he said. Verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now, do you see why I'm thinking here that there's, in their mind, there's this question of rivalry or competition or which is better, which is superior because of the way he's, because of the way they, the question they ask and then the way he answers. It's a very humble statement. A person, in other words, he's acknowledging, okay, it seems like they're suggesting, the disciples are suggesting, Jesus is beginning to get the crowds. The crowds are going to him. And John is saying, well, he couldn't do that unless it's given to him from God. I mean, that's the idea of heaven. It's just a way of saying it's coming from God. So, so, in other words, John is saying this is this is God's God's will. So, he responds first of all with a with a universal truth. I mean, this this applies not just in this situation. I, in fact, I think it's amazing the way that that, that John words this here. He he, he does make it a, a, a general and I, again I would call it a universal statement, a universal truth, and that is this. A person cannot receive even one thing. I mean, notice how all-encompassing that is. A person, in other words, he's, he's not just saying, look, Jesus couldn't receive something if it wasn't given to heaven. I couldn't receive. No, he's saying a person, any person, nobody, no one could receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. All, all we have and all that we are is from God by His grace. John calls it a gift. That is, it's given, it's granted, and he says of heaven. So it's from, from God. Everything we have, all that we are, whatever gifting we have, whatever ability, it's all from God by His grace. John recognizes this, and he recognizes, in, in, in making this statement the way he does, he recognizes God's sovereignty in the giving 
to individuals and in the ordering of events. That is, God is giving for a purpose and it's to fulfill His purpose. It's God's universe. All things are His. And He rules absolutely over all. And John's statement, by the way, is consistent with what Jesus says in John 15 when He tells His disciples, without Me, there's a lot of things you can't do. <laughs> Not exactly what He says, is it? <clears throat> without Me, you can do nothing. Nothing. John 15:5. Without Me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And John the Baptist says here, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. And I, I want you to consider, I'm going to try to be pointing these things out as we go. Um, some, some words are just common, so you see them a lot, and sometimes they'll have different applications, different meanings in different places. And In other words, some words are just common and you can't make a big deal out of that. But it's, it's always interesting, and whatever author you're reading... In this case here, uh, the Apostle John, um, the brother of James, and the Apostle of the Lord, uh, the author of this Gospel of John, whatever author you're reading, watch how they use the language that they use. It's significant. And they usually have certain themes that they emphasize and a lot of times certain words that they emphasize. Anyway, a lot of it's not just coincidental. It's not like, well... not always the case that that's just a common word and so it pops up a lot. I want to, I want to take us back to a, uh, for just a moment for a thought that John gave us earlier in the prologue in verse 12 of chapter 1. But to all... Well, I better back up a little more than that. Verse 11. John 1, 11. He came, that is Jesus. Jesus came to His own, and His own people, the Jews, did not receive Him. Notice that word, receive. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, in other words, that's two ways of describing the same people. They received Him, and they believed in His name, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right... Notice that word gave there. He gave. He granted. He gifted. He gave the right to become children of God to all who receive Him. Now... You may think I'm kind of arbitrarily pulling two passages together here, but I don't think so because, again, um, because of the universality of John's statement over here in chapter 3. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So if we, if we apply that principle to John 1, 12, <clears throat> those who receive him receive him because it was given them from heaven. And it's, it's the gift of God. Well, I think it's safe to make that connection because uh, we certainly have other passages we can go to to bear that out, don't we? <clears throat> Saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. Why? Because it is 
The gift of God, right? It's the gift of God. In Philippians, Paul says to the believers at Philippi, it's been given unto you to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. And not only that, he said it was given to them to suffer for his name's sake. So, John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This is also consistent with Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. You may remember us talking about that when we were in 1 Corinthians. For, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive, Paul says? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So, so you see what John is doing? He's saying, all, all that I have is what I've received from God. My purpose is to do God's will. Jesus calls John, in another place, Jesus calls John the greatest the greatest among men. And yet, you know, he's not on some pedestal here and he doesn't highly esteem himself. He said, just, what I have is just given by God. No man can receive anything, not even one thing, unless it is given him from heaven. So, so, in other words, John is saying, I, I recognize my place. I understand my role. It's not about me. It's about pointing people to Jesus. And things are happening in God's timing. My ministry is all about Jesus in the first place. And, and in the second place, it is coming to an end. It is playing out. It is being fulfilled And the spotlight is turning to Jesus. And we're going to see in a moment. After all, that's what John himself desired. So, <clears throat> he gives them this universal truth. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And that does two things. Um, it leaves no room for boasting. We just saw in Corinthians 4.7. It leaves no room for boasting. So we should not seek self-glory. We should not seek to glorify ourselves. Everything we do should be about the glory of God. Operate in the gifting which God has gifted you with and give Him the glory. <laughs> right? Seek His glory in all that we do because this is His goal, to glorify Himself. So, so we seek His glory in uh Time and just the use of our time, talents, resources, relationships, vocation, etc. Secondly, this truth, this universal truth that all we have, that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven, this truth leaves no room for autonomy. That's a, that's a word for self-rule. Autonomy. In other words, let's just put it plain and simple. We're not in charge. I'm not in charge. John recognizes that. I'm not in charge. God is in charge. I only have what God gives. And everybody else only has what God gives. God calls the shots. And He does it for a reason. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He is seeking to glorify His own name. And He in His grace 
is allowing us to be a part of that. So it leaves no room for boasting and it leaves no room for autonomy. And then also, as I mentioned a moment ago, John, um, John understands his role. He understands his own role. Again, verse uh, 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from, uh, from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness. Now he's talking to his disciples. He's saying, you know, you can testify, back me up on what I'm about to say here. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ. You see, you see what he's doing? He's saying, don't, don't make much of me. You should already know because I've been honest with you the whole time. I've told you I am not the Christ. I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the promised one. I'm not the one that the Jews have waited for so long. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. So John understands his role. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a messenger. I'm just preparing a way. I'm just pointing to the Christ, but I'm not the Christ. What I have been given is this role of messenger. And so I bear witness. John says, you yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. It's an interesting analogy because in their question they say, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, He's baptizing and all are going to Him. They're saying all the people are flocking to Him and John says, well... The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. <laughs> if, 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 he's, if he's attracting the followers now, and if I'm fading out, then that's because he's the real deal. He's the bridegroom. And again, showing that he understands his own role, he says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices Greatly. So in this analogy, John makes Jesus the bridegroom who's receiving a bride. And he makes himself what we would call the best man, friend of the bridegroom, the best man who stands there with the bridegroom and hears him and rejoices greatly because he's receiving his bride. You see there in John, there's, there's no hint of competition whatsoever. He understands his role, and he understands, at least to some degree, the role of Jesus. He understands that he is simply here, that is, John the Baptist is simply here to point people to Christ. He understands that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one to receive the bridegroom. And by the way, that, that analogy is, is used uh, several times in Scripture. Jesus pictured as bridegroom and the church believers pictured as the bride. And when you get to the end, uh, I mean, and I mean the end, when the Lord returns and receives us to Himself, the picture that is painted in the book of Revelation is it is a great wedding feast, right? The bride and bridegroom united to be together forever. 
and it is a great time of rejoicing. So John is kind of picturing that too and looking forward to it. So, he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. I'm not the Christ. I've told you that. I don't have the bride. I'm the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That's good, isn't it? Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Just the sound, just the sound of, of Jesus on the earth speaking and ministering brought John great joy. In fact, he left in his mother's womb when Mary came in um, bearing Jesus in her womb. Now, here's where John's passion really begins to be exposed, begins to come out. The friend, again in verse 29, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, the, the very thing the very thing that it seems was troubling John's disciples, the increase of Jesus and His ministry, and the decrease of John the Baptist and His ministry. And they're probably getting ready to jump ship. I mean, they're thinking, well, this ministry is, uh, you know, there's a new kid in town and his ministry's booming and ours is declining and maybe it's time to get out. The very thing that is troubling them in their misunderstanding, John says, that's what brings my joy to completion. That's what just fills me with joy. That Jesus is increasing. Now, let me, let me ask you something here as we get ready to close here. What are you passionate about? I think that's something we ought to constantly be asking ourselves. What am I passionate about? And what, what brings me joy and satisfaction? And, and maybe some things come into your mind. Maybe one thing in particular. Maybe, maybe several things. You know, I really take great joy in this and this and I'm passionate about this. And, and then ask ourselves this. Do those things, or one thing, does it have anything to do with honoring God? John, John the Baptist, his, his passion was Jesus and, and pointing people to Jesus. Bearing witness about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Even in private, telling His own disciples, Oh no, I'm not the Christ. He's the Christ. I'm nothing. He's, he's the one. He's the bride. I'm just a bridegroom, and I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. And I rejoice greatly to hear his voice. John says, if, if, the, if the ministry of Jesus increases, that is, if the name of Jesus is exalted, then that just increases my joy. Because that's what I'm all about. That's what my life is about. 
And so then he sums it up this way. You know, today people like to have vision statements. And oftentimes it seems like, <laughs> you know, it's about us increasing. I mean, we want to kind of develop a, a mission about us increasing. Well, here's John's vision statement, all right? His mission statement. He, that is Jesus, He must increase. But I must decrease. Now, he's saying, you're, you're, you're concerned, you're complaining because the spotlight is moving to Him and because I'm fading out. No, John's saying, this must happen. It must. It's necessary. It's part of God's mission. You see, what, what John, he's not, John's not on his own mission. He's doing God's mission. So he's saying this is just another phase. This is just another step that we've been moving toward. This is the fulfillment. Now, what is increase? Well, something has to get bigger, doesn't it? It's to grow or become greater or at least be perceived as greater. I mean, in other words, it may be, may be greater already, but may, maybe we've just got a bad perception of it. So then it just needs to be seen as greater because it already is. It's kind of like uh, we, we tell sometimes, tell people sometimes to you know, make Jesus Lord of your life. Well, the truth is He's already Lord. You know, what we're really saying is you need to recognize that. You need to recognize that He is Lord. So, John says He must increase, He must get greater, He must become superior, but I must become inferior. In other words, those things must manifest. The greatness of Christ needs to be shown more and more and more. And John says, I just need to fade out. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. If we could, again, because I think this is all of our problem. Every person deals with this to some degree. If we could comprehend this one principle and and passionately pursue it, that is to seek the glory of God. Myriads of other difficulties would just kind of disintegrate. Really, think about that. Think about the problem areas in your own life. I can almost guarantee you and guarantee me at its core, whatever the problem may be, at its core... That's, that's what underlies it. I'm not seeking to glorify God there. Now, it's, it's true. Some things just, just come at us. In fact, I've been reading the last few weeks about different missionaries and some of those people, men and women, it sure seems like to me their life was spent seeking the glory of God and yet they faced all kinds of hardships. But I would say probably, I think safely, more times than not, it's just us failing to pursue the glory of God. 
That is to honor Him in all that we do. That's our role. And that's what John understood about himself. I'm, I'm nothing. My role is just to honor Christ. So, if I pursue the glory of God, for example, in my marriage, if I make that my aim, what I want to do is glorify Him and pursue that, then a lot of the other issues are just going to go away. If I pursue the glory of God in my vocation, on the job, or maybe in your education, or whatever it is that you're involved in, a lot of the other things will just fall into place and problems just dissipate. If I pursue the glory of God in relationships with neighbors and friends and family, then a lot of the problems are going to be solved. Jesus must increase. John says, this is a non-negotiable. John says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. His life, His ministry, is all about glorifying Christ. And that's what ours should be also. Would you stand, please?